question of today, what should we do when a crisis hits? When uh, your life begins to unravel suddenly and you weren't expecting it, but uh, things start going south in a hurry, um, what should uh, followers of Jesus do in response to that? Um, up to this point in the book of Acts, in our study, things have been going pretty much amazing and wonderful and powerful and lots of fruit to show. I mean, you go back to the day of Pentecost, thousands respond. Uh, seems like a month or so later, thousands respond. Uh, they're doing fantastic, powerful things. Mighty miracles occur, Acts chapter 5. Uh, Peter and John arrested. God intervenes miraculously. They uh, are released and they walk free. Um, even when Stephen gets stoned, um, that really sad event has a powerful impact on Saul, and God even uses Stephen's death to make a difference in Saul's life. And uh, again, he responds to uh, the gospel in Acts chapter 9. Um, Acts chapter 10, we looked at it two weeks ago. Uh, the Lord sends Peter to Cornelius' house. Do you remember what happened in Cornelius' house? He had gathered all of his friends and family, and the entire household says yes to Jesus. Last weekend, Acts chapter 11, we saw that uh, the gospel spreads to Antioch. And in Antioch, a large number, I doesn't say how many, but a large number of Gentiles become followers of Jesus. Um, the early church is on a roll. They've been blessed and blessed and blessed by the ton. But today, they uh, have a hard time, okay? Acts chapter 12, would you turn there in your Bibles? Things start to unravel. An unexpected crisis explodes on the early church, and uh, I want us to see how do they respond to this uh, really bad crisis that goes on in their lives. Stand with me. We're going to read Acts chapter 12, verses 1 to 5. If you don't have your Bible, it's printed on the back of your bulletin. You can follow along with us. Uh, Jay's going to put it up here on the wall for us as well. Let's uh, out loud declare God's word together, okay? Here we go. It was about this time that King Herod arrested some who belonged to the church, intending to persecute them. He had James, the brother of John, put to death with the sword. When he saw that this met with the approval among the Jews, he proceeded to seize Peter also. This happened during the festival of unleavened bread. After arresting him, he put him in prison handing him over to be guarded by four squads of four soldiers each. Herod intended to bring him out for public trial after the Passover. So Peter was kept in prison, but the church was earnestly praying to God for him. Let's pray. Lord, I'm praying that you'll teach us today how we should respond to crises that hit our lives to crisis that lands to people around us, close to us, people we care about, people we love. Lord, I suspect that in a group this size, there's a number of them even right now, right in the middle of a storm. So Lord, I'm asking that you might teach us this morning, how should we respond? Lord, Lord, would you show us very clearly? I, I pray that you might bring hope. I pray that you might bring encouragement to each and every life, especially those who uh, are in the middle of having some pretty important parts of their lives unravel. Lord, uh, we invite uh, your spirit, the very third person of the Trinity, uh, your son Jesus in spirit form, we recognize that... Uh, we need him to be welcomed today in your church. So we want to do that right now corporately and now individually. We invite you to come and uh, you take charge. You rule and reign in our hearts and our minds, our wills. You come and take over and we're asking that as your spirit comes and 
works and fills and controls our lives. And as we read and study and worship you, as we open up your book together, I'm praying that that combination would powerfully touch each and every one of our hearts and lives today. Lord, some need it for right now. Some need this instruction, this hope, this encouragement for what they're facing today. And Lord, uh, others of us, it's just around the next corner that we're going to need this. So Lord, uh, we look to you. Please guide and lead. Um, We ask that we might hear very clearly today from your still, small voice. So you speak, you prompt, you work, and uh, we'll give your son Jesus lots of honor and glory and praise. And all the church gathered at Wallen Lake said, as one. You may be seated. The king uh, who's mentioned, verse 1, look at it, says King Herod. Um, That's the grandson of Herod the Great. Herod the Great, if you go back to Matthew chapter 2, he was the one who uh, put all the babies, uh, baby boys, to death around Bethlehem. Remember, uh, he didn't like the fact that they were looking for the king of the Jews. And he said, I'll show you who's the king of the Jews. It's me. And he has the uh, soldiers slaughter. That's grandpa, okay, uh, of this guy here in chapter 12, verse 1. Um, this guy's dad was murdered by grandpa, okay? So, so maybe you'll start understanding a little bit of the family dynamics that's going on here. So grandpa was King Herod the Great. Um, this Herod's dad was murdered by grandpa, and uh, now he's put in power. Uh, he was sent to Rome to get schooled. And two of his childhood friends uh, were later Roman Caesars. Uh, Caligula, you ever heard of Caligula? Not, not, not a good guy. Uh, and later Claudius were two of this Herod's childhood friends. So again, once again, it's oftentimes not what you know, it's, uh, what is it? It's who you know, yeah? And he knew the Caesars, so he was made king of Judea and Samaria. Okay, the Jews mostly hated the Herods. Uh, They took every opportunity to cause them grief. The Jews loved to make the Herods look bad to Rome. So that was kind of a game that was just about always going on, okay? Uh, Now, word has come back from chapter 11. Track with me for a minute. The Jews in Jerusalem are just now learning. um, They're starting to spread this Jesus stuff to pagans, to Gentiles, to the dogs, and, and now they're becoming a part of the church as well. So they already didn't like the church. Now they hate them even more. So it's likely that's what was inflaming things going on here. So Herod realizes, man, the Jews really hate the Christians. So look what he does in verses 1 and 2. He orders that uh, James, the number three in the early church, be arrested. Why do I say he's number three? Well, he was part of the inner circle. Peter, James, and John. Uh, called in Scripture, Sons of Thunder. <laughs> um, they were loud. They were bold. Uh, they, they, remember, they didn't like what was going on in a few cities. Remember what they said to Jesus? Let's just rain fire down on those cities, Jesus. Let, let's just destroy them. That was uh, James and John. Um, they were invited, along with Peter, on the Mount of Transfiguration in Mark chapter 9, Um, when Jesus was in the Garden of Gethsemane, track with me, and now he says, man, we got to pray. So he had the disciples pray, and then he called Peter, James, and John. He says, would you come and you you stay near me, you stay close to me and pray for me. So this was the inner circle, if you will. Uh, I I would say he's he's either number two or number three, but, but he was one of the key leaders, the insiders. So Again, when Herod has number three arrested and imprisoned, the church, I'm confident, went to prayer. We got trouble here. Lord, help. 
But every time before, whenever the apostles were in trouble, they would pray and God would rescue them. Every time up to this point, uh, God would come and rescue and protect the apostles. Um, but this time, verse 2, it didn't happen. Okay, Things begin to unravel for the church. Um, Herod had James put to death with the sword. This is graphic, and I apologize, but everywhere that phrase is used in the Bible, it means he had him beheaded. Took a sword and took James's head off. Now, now what's kind of interesting is the two brothers, James and John, James is the first apostle to die. John, his brother, is the last. John was exiled to the island of Patmos, and while he was exiled on the island of Patmos, anybody remember what book of the Bible he was inspired to write? Anybody remember? It's the book of Revelation. Yeah. So that's the brother of James. He was the last to die. So, so you see the brother of the first, James, first to die, John the last, the beloved disciple, he's also the one that was inspired to write the Gospel of John. Verse 3, and the Jews are thrilled. The Jews are excited and pleased. Thank you. We love you now, Herod. You've executed James number 3. And now Herod says, hey, I got such a good response. Um, my public opinion polls are really going up fast. Um, i got to continue this. And in verse 3, uh, he, he does something even more strong. He arrests number one, Peter, the leader, the, the lead apostle, the, the spokesman for the church. Verse 4, uh, but since it was Passover, that was a really key, important time. He didn't want to mess with the Jews' Passover. Uh, remember, this was the time of year when Jesus was arrested. This was the time when Jesus was brought to trial and then was beaten, scourged, and then he was put on a Roman cross. That probably took place, track with me, 12 to 14 years before this. So it's been 12 to 14 years. Uh, the smart guys argue on whether it was 12 or 14. I, I won't bother you with all the detail, but it was somewhere 12, 13, 14 years earlier Jesus went to the cross. Now, Herod says, soon as the Passover's over, <laughs> I want you to know, I I'm going to take this guy Peter to trial, and I'm going to take his head off too. That's really what he did. Um, Peter had already escaped from a Roman jail once. If you want, you can look back at Acts chapter 5 and verse 18, um, and God supernaturally let them out and freed them. But now Herod says, you know what, uh, you fooled me once, but you're not going to do it again. Uh, this time, I'm going to make sure that there is no great escape. Verse 4, look at it. So he assigns 16 Roman soldiers to guard one guy in his prison. This is like way overkill. Um, few commentators believe there were all 16 gathered around in the cell. Uh, but since he says four groups of four, more likely it was like this. Um, there was two people shackled, two soldiers shackled, chained to Peter on the inside of the cell, and two of them guarding the prison door, the cell. And they would work in six-hour shifts, and that way they'd stay fresh, they'd be alert, there'd be no way anybody was going to break him out of prison. Okay? So, so that's the situation, and now you're the early church. Your number three guy lost his head. And now your number one guy, Peter, it's not looking good for him either. Does it ever feel to you like the bad guys are winning? <laughs> Does it ever feel to you like the people who, who are evil and cheat and, and are anti-Jesus and his church, the Herods, does that ever feel like they're winning? I think that's how the early church felt right now. They felt that, Lord, we're following you and we're doing it your way. And look, 
The bad guy, Herod, is winning. So Peter, verse 5, was kept in prison, but the church unleashes its secret weapon. And here is its secret weapon. They send out members of the church with clipboards, and they're going to sign a petition. And they're just going to canvas, and they figure if they can get a good percentage of the the uh, population in Jerusalem to sign their petition, surely Herod's going to have to listen to them, right? Uh, no, here's what they do. They marshal a guerrilla militia, and we're going to gather uh, knives, and maybe we can even get uh, a few uh, swords, and we're going to attack and storm the prison and break Peter out. That, that's their weapon, right? Oh, no, they all flee, <laughs> Uh, if we stick around here, we're in trouble too. So they all run away. They, they go to faraway cities because they don't want to die like James and Peter's going to. Is that their secret weapon? Um, no, they paint signs and they learn some chants and they march on the prison. And, and they walk around and they shout and they chant and they're just going to go crazy all over this prison. Is that their secret weapon? Look at verse 5. I want you to see it. It, it seems like, well, Really? That's their secret weapon? Um, the church's secret weapon was, while Peter was kept in prison, the church was earnestly praying to God for him. I would suggest, if you like to write stuff in your Bible, earnestly praying is worth underlining, because that's the secret weapon of the church. And oh, by the way, that's still our secret weapon today. Okay? It hasn't changed. Our weapon, our source of power is prayer. Crying out, asking, seeking, knocking, especially when things get bad, especially when things start to unravel. In their time of crisis, when, when their life suddenly was turned upside down, the first thing the early church did, look at it, verse 5, is they earnestly prayed. They were serious they were crying out. Have you noticed that when things go bad for us, suddenly we get pretty serious about prayer? Have you noticed that to be true? You know, well, I don't pray that much. But then let something really major go on in your life or someone you love. It's amazing. We get pretty serious in a hurry. Their number three was already dead. Their leader now is chained between two Roman soldiers and Herod is itchy to take his head off, too. In a time of crisis, their first instinct was to run to their Abba Daddy. Lord, help! Romans 10 says we get to run to, to our Abba Daddy and cry out, and he's ready to respond. He's ready to work on our behalf. Here's my question. In a time of crisis... What's your first instinct? What's the first thing you do? The Lord uh, responds, and this is pretty cool. Let's look at verse 6. Because now they're crying. They're, oh, Lord, help. Um, and, and verse 6, here we go. It was the night before Herod was to bring him to trial, and Peter was sleeping between two soldiers bound with two chains, and sentries stood guard at the entrance. Got the picture? He's in between two soldiers chained to them. Right outside his cell are two more Roman soldiers. Um, and just hours from now, verse 6, what's going to happen to Peter? He's going to trial, and, and, and there was not going to be any mercy. There's going to be no grace. He's going to die. Okay, um, let me just say to you, the Lord is rarely early, but he's never late. And that's exactly what we see. And, and I love the fact that verse 6, just look at it, because he's just hours away from dying, his very last night on earth, as far as what he knew, Peter is doing what? He's what? Let's, let's, let's shut your eyes and let's do a little snoring together, okay? Some of you do this anyway, so I'm just giving you permission. Sound asleep between two Roman soldiers. 
holy calmness. That's what peace is. God's holy calmness to guard his heart and his mind. We get that from Philippians chapter 4. And, and clearly, he's got a lot of peace. Sound asleep. Why do you think he was able to sleep? I'll tell you why I think he was able to sleep. Because of verse 5. The church was praying for him. And whether he loses his head or not, he's sleeping sound. Verse 7 is a little bit uh, comical. Suddenly an angel of the Lord appeared, and a light shone in his cell, and he strikes Peter on the side and woke him up. And that word strike isn't just a gentle little tap. I mean, he whacks him good uh, is the idea. Hey, get up! <laughs> Quick, get up, he said, and the chains fell off Peter's wrist. Isn't that fun? Come on, sleepyhead, get up, Pete. Uh, verse 8, then the angel said to Peter, put on your clothes, put on your sandals. Peter did so, wrap your cloak around you. Follow me, the angel told him. Peter's in need of a really giant jumbo coffee right now, don't you think? He's sleepy, doesn't know what's going on. He's trying to rub his eyes, pulling on some clothes. Uh, man, what's going on here? Uh, verse 9, Peter followed him out of the prison. This is interesting, but he had no idea what the angel was doing was really happening. <laughs> he thought he was seeing a vision. Peter was pretty sure this was a dream. It was a pretty good dream, but he's pretty sure that it's really not true. He's just dreaming that God came and rescued him, and he's just seeing an angel in his vision, but he's still sleeping. Verse 10, they passed the first and the second guards, came to the iron gate heading out to the city. It opened up for them itself, and they went through it. And when they walked the length of one street, suddenly the angel left him. Good story. Uh, so, so he's sleep, walk right out, keep walking out in the city. They walk an entire block, and now the angel's gone. <laughs> in verse 11, then Peter came to himself. Or you can say, finally, Peter wakes up a little bit and says, well, now I know without a doubt the Lord has sent his angel and rescued me from Herod's clutches and from everything the Jewish people were hoping that would happen. God, you came through. I can't believe it. I can't believe it, but you came through. Verse 12, when this had dawned on him, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, also called Mark, where many people had gathered and were praying. A lot of commentators think this is where the upper room took place, large gathering place. John Mark's house. Talked about him last week. Uh, he's about to head out and go on the first missionary journey. Anyway, this is John Mark's mom's house. Her name's Mary. And, and Peter knew that the church would gather there and do what? Pray. But here's what I find interesting. Peter doesn't demonstrate great faith here. Peter wasn't expecting God to rescue him. Even though back in 518, God had already come through and rescued him. This time he wasn't expecting it. He was pretty sure he was dreaming. He was pretty sure that he was going to die just like his friend, his brother James, had died. And it's not until the angel's gone and he wakes up, he wakes up to the fact, hey, you know what? God, you, you really did rescue me. Please note, Peter, number one apostle... Pretty small faith. Pretty small faith. <laughs> Verse 13. Peter arrives at Mary's house. <clears throat> Peter then knocks at the outer entrance, and a servant named Rhoda came to answer the door. Uh, Rhoda um, comes, and uh, he's eager to get out of the street. Why, why do you think... He's pretty eager to get out of the street right now. Any, any guesses? Um, because if the guards become aware that he's missing, there's instantly going to be a search, and they probably know this house, and there's a good chance they're going to come find him there. So he's knocking and knocking and knocking, and a young servant girl, teenage girl, comes to the door. 
And I would, I would suggest to you that I think Rhoda shows faith here. Because, you know, it's dark and the house is locked. And now a stranger, somebody unexpected, is knocking. That could be the Roman soldiers. <laughs> that could be somebody that's coming and is going to do bad stuff to people inside. So anyway, uh, verse 13, knock, knock. Who's there? Uh, Peter. Peter knocked at the outer entrance, verse 13. Servant girl came to answer. Okay? She recognizes Peter's voice, 14. Oh, it's you, Peter. She was so overjoyed, she ran back without opening it, opening the door, and exclaimed, Hey, everybody, Peter's at the door. Peter's at the door. Okay? So, right now, for those of you with ADD, like moi, uh, we're going to take a little break for a second because there's this song that's all about Rhoda and the situation between Rhoda and Peter. There's this singer, uh, I've just seen Jesus, more than wonderful, he sings, Larnell Harris with Sandy Patty. Anyway, this song that I want you to hear about is about this event. And uh, the song is just simply entitled, Rhoda. Go. Nice and loud. Peter was thrown in prison Made a scapegoat for Herod's wrath And so a girl named Rhoda Met with the saints to intercede on his behalf Hearing their prayers, God answered Like time and time again And while still in prayer Rhoda heard Peter call The right to announce him without letting him in And all of heaven said, Rhoda, open the door Verse 15, okay? You're awake, you're back with me, yes. <clears throat> that wasn't dance, that was choreographed movement. Yeah. Just want you to know that. Um, Peter's at the door, verse 14. And I want you to catch this, this is, this is fun. Um, their response, they're there earnestly praying for Peter. You're out of your mind, Rhoda. When she kept insisting that it was so, no, I'm telling you, Peter's at the door, they said it must be his angel. Now let me tell you what that means, likely. The Jews at this time thought that shortly after a person dies, his spirit, his ghost, maybe even his guardian angel hangs around for a little while and then heads up to glory. So likely what they're saying is, Broda, all that means is they've killed him. And, and now his, his ghost is saying, his spirit is saying goodbye. Uh, that's not really Peter. That's probably a sign that he's dead. You're out of your mind. I just want you to see they had weak and feeble faith in this praying church. Okay? So they aren't like these spiritual giants. God will come. No, when God does come through, they don't believe it. No, you're wrong. You're messed up. Let's continue on, verse 16. But Peter kept on knocking. <clears throat> and when they opened the door and saw him, they were what? I said, we can't believe it. How did you get out? Can't believe God actually answered our prayers. I mean, we knew we were supposed to pray, but we didn't actually think God would do anything. <laughs> verse 17. Peter motions with his hand. I think they were loud and cheering and, and be quiet, come on. And now he described, I like this, how the Lord had brought him out of prison. He gives the Lord the glory and the God brought me out of prison. Now go tell James, James, the brother of Jesus, not the one who just lost his head. Uh, tell James, the pastor of the church at Jerusalem, the other brothers and sisters about this. And then he left for another place. I think Peter knew they'd come looking here for him. Go tell the leaders, tell them what God has done. 
Um, I'm heading out. I'm going to go to a little safer place. Now, how do you think jolly old King Herod is going to react to the news? That his number one favorite prisoner is missing. Just think with me now. How do you think Herod is going to respond to the news? Uh, verse 18, here's, here's how Herod responds. In the morning, I like how Dr. Luke describes this, no small commotion among the soldiers as to what had become of Peter. Isn't that a good way of saying it? There was no small commotion going on. What does that mean? There was a large commotion. There was loud. They were, they were, what in the world? Where is he? What did you do with him? It was your, no, you were chained to him while you were at the door. There, well, who's going to go tell Herod? I'm not telling him. You tell him. And I don't know if there was four of them in trouble. I'm guessing all 16 were in trouble. Um, but here's what happens. Verse 19, after Herod had a thorough search made for him and didn't find Peter, cross-examined the guards and did what? And ordered that they be executed. Wow. Don't mess with Herod. <laughs> Except if you're God. And, and we, don't, we don't really have a lot of time, but I just want you to kind of slide down and start look at the end of verse 19 uh, through Verse 23, Herod leaves Judea, he's mad, he's angry, I'm going to the beach. Okay, so that's what he does, heads to Caesarea, must have a, a beach house there. Um, uh, there's some officials quarreling with Herod from Tyre and Sidon, and they knew they were in trouble. Why? Their food source came from Herod in the territory he controlled. So they're mad at each other, and they knew if we don't make peace with Herod, we're all going to starve to death. So um, they make friends with Herod's personal assistant, and his name is Blastus. Isn't that a great name? Blastus. I just thought, man, I'd like to have that name, you know. What's your name? Blastus. Okay. That's just me. Um, but anyway, Blastus arranges for a special meeting with all of the representatives from Tyre and Sidon. And Josephus even records this. Comes out in the morning, and man, is he looking good. He's got a new robe, and Josephus says it was made of silver. And when he walked out in the morning sun, it was glistening. And then it says he gave a speech. So he sits down, and he gives a speech. I am Herod, and you are not. I don't know what he said. But he really thought he was something here. And the residents cry out, that's the voice of a god. You, you are God. And Herod says, you know, you're right. I am pretty godlike, aren't I? Yes, you're right. And, and I, I don't think that they meant it. I think they were just trying to butter him up because they wanted food. Um, anyway, here's what's pretty cool. Um, when he took on the praise that he was God, uh, the Lord strikes Herod down with worms. I think this is one of the few times you can say, death by nightcrawler. <laughs> death. Dead. It's ironic. Herod had Peter and was confident that he would remove Peter's head, but Peter's God freed him from prison and turned old Herod into worm food. Pretty cool. Okay. So what should we catch from this? What is it that we need to learn from the church and how they responded to crisis, how they dealt with their lives unraveling? Okay? Um, First is this, if you're taking notes, this is first. Sometimes the Lord rescues us from trouble, like he did with Peter. And sometimes the Lord allows us to go right on through and into the storm. And you see that with Jesus and the disciples. And sometimes he calmed the storm, and other times he just let them go straight into the storm, and the Lord walked with him. And that's what happened to James. Have you thought about this already? How come Peter got rescued and James didn't? 
Was it because he liked Peter better? Was it because the church was praying harder for Peter than James? Was it because Peter's relatives were more passionate about wanting Peter back than James? Are you ready for this? I'll give you the, I'll give you the answer, okay? The answer is because God's in control and he knows what he's doing even if we don't understand. I don't have a good answer. Why, why did he rescue Peter and he allowed James to have his head taken off? He, here's what I do know. Are you ready? Jesus, you're on the throne right now, and there's a whole lot of things that are going on in my life and around me I don't get. I don't understand. I don't, I don't like it. I don't understand it. But here's what I want you to know. You're in control, and I trust you. That's where we have to be, church. We have to get, we have to get there. Because you look at this, and you say there's no good explanation other than God knew what he was doing, and sometimes the Lord rescues, and sometimes he doesn't. And we have to decide ahead of time, Lord, I trust the fact that you're in control. And I might not understand what's going on. I might not get it. I might not like it. I might even be a little ticked about it. But, Lord, I trust you. Second thing, the Lord even responds to weak faith. And I kind of like that because Peter doesn't show strong, amazing faith in this chapter. Matter of fact, he, he's surprised. He's amazed. He couldn't believe. He thought he was dreaming. No, this can't possibly be God. But God was working, and it wasn't until he finally was out on the street and the angel was gone that he woke up. Hey, I, I think God came through. Might I suggest to you that that's pretty small faith? And uh, the church is, get, think with me now, the church, oh, Lord, please deliver Peter. Do a mighty miracle. <clears throat> Peter's at the door. You're out of your mind. God, do great stuff. No, I'm pretty sure Peter, it's just his ghost. He's dead. And Lord, do great and mighty stuff. <laughs> it's just tiny faith here. But I want you to write this down. This is, this is huge. It's not the amount of faith that we have. It's the object of our faith that matters. Are you, are you tracking? In, in other words, it's not the amount of faith. And a lot of times, oh, I'm, I, I just got weak faith and I just have a little bit of faith. That's not the part that matters. It's who is your faith in that matters. And their faith was in Jesus Christ. And, and they were trusting, Lord, you're going to do great things even if it's just a little bit. And remember what Jesus said? If you have faith the size of a what? Anybody remember? Matthew 17, 20? A little mustard seed of faith. And, and, and I'm telling you, I'd love to show you some mustard seeds, but you wouldn't see them. If you take your pen and put a dot on your finger, boom, that's a mustard seed. It takes that much faith, and God says, I can start moving mountains now. It's not the amount of faith. It's who your faith is in that matters. So here's the good news. You ready? The Lord can take even little, small, minute faith and do powerful stuff. But faith, this is how I, I want to steal this from Pastor Chris Brown. The opposite of faith is inaction. The opposite of faith, think, is doing nothing. That's the opposite of faith. We, we just do nothing, but I want you to know that Peter got up and he walked out and he followed the angel. And listen, even though they had really weak, tiny faith, the church still prayed. Do you understand? They were doing stuff. What were they doing? They were praying. It wasn't big faith, but they were praying, even though it was puny, and they were crying out to the right object of faith, which is who? Jesus Christ. That's the key. And now we're here today and say, Pastor Jeff, I, I don't have big faith. My faith's kind of puny. It's kind of small. If the object of your faith is Jesus Christ and you move towards him, good stuff happens. Listen to this. Um, 
a plane is going to leave tomorrow from Pelston. Track with me. And it's going to fly to Detroit. And on that plane is a businessman. He flies from Pelston to Detroit twice a week. It's like no big deal. He knows, he knows the TSA workers. They know him. How you doing? I'm doing good. He's got the Wall Street Journal in his hand. He's got his laptop. He's got a coffee. He's going to just sit in that plane and relax because he does this all the time. He, he knows the pilot by name. He's been in this plane a hundred times. On the same plane is an 82-year-old widow. And she hasn't flown in 30 years. She hasn't flown since she sat next to her husband. And she didn't even like it then. And now she needs to get Detroit because her sister's in ICU. And, and she doesn't want to fly, and she's scared to fly, and she's worried about flying, but she's got to do it anyway. So she gets on that same plane and sits right near that businessman. And the businessman is sitting there reading the paper and relaxed and just enjoying himself. And right next to him is that widow. And she's white-knuckling it. She's squeezing it. Some of you know, are you like this? And every bit of turbulence, she's crying, Lord, help. She's whispering, and she's scared to death. Now, now here's my question. Who gets to Detroit first? Because it seems like the businessman should get there first because he had lots more faith, doesn't it? But, but do you understand that they both arrive at the destination at the very same time. Businessman had lots of faith in the plane and the pilot. That widow had little faith in the plane and the pilot. But she got on the plane. She got on the plane. She had small faith. And I'm telling you, the Lord's saying, I can even take your small faith and do something with that if you'll trust in me. Is there a crisis brewing in your life right now? Stuff going on where things are starting to unravel? Isn't it reassuring to know that you don't have to be this giant, spiritual, amazing person? Isn't it good to know that you can even have doubt? I'm, I'm, I have doubts. I'm not certain here, but I got some faith. <laughs> and, and I'm willing to trust you, Jesus. Maybe you're saying, you know, I'm, I'm like that, that widow and I'm white-knuckled and unsure, but here's the verse you need to know, 1 John 3, 1. See what great love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God. Did you know that you're a child of God and he's given you permission? Whenever you're scared and things are coming apart at the seams, you get to run right into him and say, Help! Lord, help. You got a prisoner in Herod's prison named Peter, number one guy in the church. Small faith. You've got the early church praying, oh, Lord, tiny faith. You know what the Lord says? I can work with that. <laughs> You're trusting me. There's not a lot there, but, but you are trusting me. Even though it's shaky and even though it's uncertain, you're still trusting me. And you're crying out to me. And the Lord says, I can work with that. I would argue that the power source for Walloon Church is still prayer. Did you know that? Was back then, still today. Right now, while we're uh, here in this room and service, and musicians are playing, and children are being taught. Did you know in my office that we've got a team of people, and the only thing they're doing right now is praying for you and these goofy lips of mine? Did you know that? That's kind of cool. And I'm sure some, some Sundays they're thinking, I don't know that you can do anything with those goofy lips, but I, I kind of believe maybe, Lord. And I believe that that's the kind of thing the Lord says, I can work with that. I can work with that. And I just give you a little advertisement. Next Saturday, 8 o'clock, we got a breakfast for that team of people. And if you want to kind of join the engine and the power plan of the church, 
talk to me. Call Gene, say, hey, uh, put, a, put an extra muffin on for me. I'm going to be there, and, and I want to be a part of that power plant. Did you know after every service, right over here, you, can, you have permission, look over to the right. Do you see the sign back there? What's it say? Say it out loud with me. Prayer, what does it say? Chapel. Yeah. And you can go to the chapel any Sunday after church, and we got a team in there, and they'll pray for you. Did you know that? Why? Because the truth is, at any given time, there's a good number of us, our lives are unraveling. Crisis is appearing all around us, and it's not good. I've got good news, church. The Lord says, just a little bit of faith. I can work with that. I can work with that. Bow your head, shut your eyes. And here's my question. there a storm that's hit your life recently? Perhaps unexpected? Is there some unraveling going on around you, people that you care about deeply? I have good news. There is a place to turn. And I would direct you to the Lord Jesus Christ. And cry out and knock and seek. And he promises just a little bit of faith. You'll turn to me and cry out. I know there's not a lot there. There's some uncertainty. There's some doubt. I can work with that, the Lord says. I can work with that. One last thing. We need each other. That's why there is church. We need each other a lot more than we think we need each other. That's the reality. We need people crying out on our behalf. Even if they just have weak faith like us, when they cry out, God says, I can work with that. I can work with that. So uh, I suspect there's some of you here today and... Uh, the storm is intense. The crisis is real. I don't know if it's your marriage. I don't know if it's your finances, your job. I don't know if it's a family member. I don't know if it's your health. Things come unraveled. Crisis has come in lots of different packages. But when they come, we need each other. Anybody say, that's me right now. I'm in the middle of a storm. The crisis is real. My life is starting to come apart at the seams. I'm here today in the church of Jesus Christ. I need the secret weapon. Anybody lift up your hand and say, that's me? Yeah. Okay. Here's how we're going to close. And I know this is hard. <clears throat> and yet I also know the Lord says, I oppose the proud, those that won't admit that they need help. That's inaction. That's a refusal to respond to what you know to be true. But I give grace. I give my blessing, my applause to those who are weak and humbly admit it. So here's how we're going to close. If you're in a storm... Life's unraveling. Things aren't good right now. I need you to do something bold and brash and pretty courageous. But I think even this small step is a sign of faith. Would you stand? Because how do we know where you're at? How can we love on you? How can we cry out for you as the church is called to do unless you admit where you're at? So if that's you, I need you to stand right now. And here's how we're going to close. We're going to gather around the body that's in crisis. Just like we saw in Acts chapter 12, we're going to cry out for one another. So uh, are you ready, church? I just came to listen and sing, Pastor Jeff. No, now's your time to be the church. And you're going to step out, many of you right now, and nobody should be standing alone. So let's, let's go right now. And if you don't know their name, 
own up to it. I don't remember your name. What's your name? And you probably need to tell them your name and ask them, how can I pray for you? And we're going to pray for one another right now. We're going to have a little prayer meeting here in church as we close because this is the power source. church. Lord, help uh, all those who are gathered around to love and encourage and bring hope. And help us to keep lifting one another up all week long. It's in Jesus' name we pray these things. Amen. If you need to keep praying, you just keep going. You don't need You're dismissed. Lord bless you.